Welcome to the Toes and Line podcast. I'm your host, Gio Grassi. Today, I got my man, Pratik Patel, who is the Director of Performance Nutrition and Assistant Strength and Conditioning Coach with the New York Giants. And Pratik has been around the game for a while at the highest Division One level in college and also the New York Giants at the pro level. Pratik, what's up, baby? What's good, Gio? Thanks for having me on, man. Now, I appreciate you for coming on and uh, you know taking your personal time off to really come on and talk about... Uh, the state of sports nutrition is what we're going to call this one, man. But uh, if you could just take some time, intro yourself, you know, talk about your career journey and kind of how you got to this role with the New York Giants, which I believe was a brand new role when you got there. Yes, it was. So I was hired back in 2017. So fortunate enough to be able to go into my fourth year with the team. You know, a lot of transitions happened since then. Uh, one of the longest tenured on the staff currently. I've uh, been through a few different head coaches. But when I was hired on, I was hired by Aaron Woman in a dual role capacity. So not only am I the team dietitian, but I'm also assistant strength and conditioning coach. And over the past couple of years, kind of it added some more uh, duties to my role. So now aside from the dual role, I'm also in charge of our blood biomarker program. Um, also a big hand in uh, sleep and recovery education with the team. Uh, prior to this, I was at the University of Oregon for three years as the director of sports nutrition. So really had the opportunity to learn a lot from the performance staff there, the medical staff there, and a really holistic environment that had started to thrive once Chip Kelly took over. So a lot of um, investment in sports science, sports performance, athlete monitoring. It was a really good opportunity for me to learn about that there because I hadn't been exposed to it. Worked with a lot of really great people on the medical side and also on the sports performance side with a couple of people, including Hugh Fulliger, uh, James Hanish, and Andrew Murray. But prior to that, I was at Michigan State University as a sports dietitian, uh, working really closely with the strength and conditioning staff. So that, so that was a great opportunity because I worked very closely with Coach Manny and his staff. I got to see things from their perspective. Wasn't really doing any coaching with the Michigan State athletes at the time. I was kind of had my hand in a few other things uh, related to on campus and also off campus. On campus, I was also assisting with some research projects and doing some teaching off campus working with uh, Joe Eisenman and just doing some holistic training with the mid-Michigan youth athlete uh, population that was there. And prior to Michigan State, I was at Kansas State. I was there for undergrad and then I was there for grad school as a graduate teacher and then reached out and started working with the men's basketball team as a sports dietitian and was doing some group fitness coaching, um, teaching weightlifting movements, kind of going through the gamut of everything from like one there's five, three, one to um, some West Side stuff to a lot of different methodologies. So I've been very fortunate to have a lot of different experiences, have seen a lot of different things, and it's kind of all culminated to what I'm currently doing right now with the Giants. So let me ask you this question. I don't think I ever asked you this personally. How difficult is it for you to play dual role in an in a organization where, you know, attention to detail has to be at an all-time high? Like, how do you channel your focus in being a nutrition coach and also assistant strength coach? Yeah. I mean, obviously, I know my my main role is as the team dietitian. So all of that's going to supersede anything else that comes after it. And, you know, when Aaron was with us, he knew that too. So if he, if there was something that was really pressing or I needed to get done or I needed to follow up with an athlete and we didn't necessarily have a scheduled lift going on, then I would be able to follow through with that. I think the toughest thing about that is trying to manage the expectations of what I wanted to get done with just having myself as the only one that was involved in this nutrition side outside of all of our really awesome food service staff members. But then again, they're so busy 
you know, cranking out two to three meals a day for not only the athletes and coaches, but for the entire staff that's uh -huh. working in the building. And you know, it's one of the benefits of being around the Giants organization because it is a family run organization and they treat everybody really well. So I think the hardest part was just managing my expectations of what I wanted to get done and knowing that, all right, well, it's just me. I can't, it's, it's hard enough to just be in two places at once as a dietitian. It's even harder when you're wearing that cap of, all right, now I'm also an assistant strength and conditioning coach. I'm assigned with this group and this lift. I've got to coach them up and then we're going out on the field. And then I've got to make sure that everything happens um, post-training with all the recovery and follow-ups and talking with the medical staff. And then, Hey, we got another group coming in. I got to take care of them. So then I won't be able to get my additional time with that group that just finished. So time management, understanding the schedule, knowing where my attention needed to be focused with, whether it was a specific athlete that, you know, flagged on our list for a variety of reasons or somebody I needed to follow up with. I think that was the most difficult part. I think there was also a lot of benefits of being able to have a hand at both roles that I was able to see a lot of things that I not, wouldn't necessarily have in some of my former roles as only the dietitian of an athletic department or a football team. So I think that there's, you know, it's good and bad with both, the, both ways you look at it. Yeah. Now you have great success throughout your career. You have your own pillars of nutritional success. Let's spend time, introduce those pillars of success. And, you know, how did you cultivate um, that all into one? Yeah, it's interesting because it's transitioned over the years. It's definitely a lot different from when I first got in the field. So when I first got in the field, it was more, you know, eating the right foods and fluids at the right time you know, for peak athletic performance. And I think that's a very generic way of looking at things. I know a lot of people have mentioned it and they've kind of used the same verbiage and it's, it's changed based on each place that I've been, the, the access to resources, how much we end up understanding about our athletes, the more I've learned about, you know, physiology, athlete behavior, interpersonal neurobiology, social psychology, and not just, you know, this is what they need to eat and drink because there's so much more that goes behind it. So now it's very much where I really won't start giving athletes advice until I get enough background information from them, whether it's through a standardized nutritional assessment or, you know, I ask them a series of questions, you know, in the event that I'm talking to them face to face and we only have five minutes or two minutes or less. I need as much background information as I can because now we're able to gather as much data on our players. Mm -hmm. Whether it's, you know, biomarker data, whether it's lifestyle data, whether it's physical data, whether it's health data, all of that, because I can't start putting together information or plans for players until I know exactly what's going on. Mm -hmm. now, I wasn't like that when I first got started and when I first became a dietitian, where I would just, you know, ask one or two questions and then shoot here, this is what you need to do. And then the athlete has difficulty following because it doesn't necessarily fall in line with what their schedule is like or what's going on in their life. So I think the way I kind of look at things now is doing a full on assessment. I guess you can kind of call it an exponential view of things where you look at the, the person as a whole, try to get down to the root of the problem. So, you know, people always come up like, Oh, you know, I'm tired. I don't have energy. It's like, Oh, you probably didn't eat or you're not hydrated or I pulled a muscle or oh, you're dehydrated. It's like, well, no, there's probably something deeper than that. And I've got to find the right questions to ask. And then I can build on top of that. So I, I don't really buy into any specific, type of diet or methodology in that regard. I mean, some things can work for some people, but mm -hmm. obviously you, it's not always a one-off for everybody. So I know that's a very vague general answer, but as time has passed, I start looking at things more like, you know, I'll, I'll really start with 
sleep, mental health, you know, mindfulness, breathing, how well are those guys doing on those things correlated with any specific medical injury or medical history. And then from there, it's like, all right, well, I have your anthro assessments. You know, we do VODPOD, but we also do some pretty rigorous kin anthropometry. And then we also know the positional demands. We'll talk to the coordinators and the position coaches based on the film that they've seen say, Hey, you know, this guy might be moving positions or I think this guy could excel doing this. So then it starts to allow us to build. And then we know what the training is like. We know what the training periodization. So then the nutrition periodization comes in. We have the blood biomarkers on them. So I know where they're deficient and I know what they need. Um, we start asking more about doing sleep assessments so we can figure things out like that. And then, then it becomes a lot easier to start building once we get that information, then we take into consideration their habits, you know, what they like, what they don't like. Some guys have pretty serious allergies or aversions, or they're very picky about what they like and what they don't. So then that adds another layer to it. That's good stuff. And it, it's great that you mentioned all that stuff because, you know, talking about, you know, watching film and, you know, asking coaches what they see out of certain players on film and, and you being a dietitian and taking that information and utilizing it, that, that just shows how deep of a position a dietitian has on a, on a, on a football program versus, you know, giving your basic information on carb, protein, and fat intake. You know what I'm saying? So that, that, that's, that's awesome stuff, man. So with what you just said, Teek, what, like, what would you say the state of sports nutrition or a sports dietitian better off? Uh, what's the state of a sports dietitian's career? Where is it heading? You know, being that, you know, we have all this information on the internet. I feel like anyone can, you know, can find out, you know, total calories in for whatever X, Y, and Z, total protein intake for this type of athlete, carb intake. Like wh where do you personally see the state of sports nutrition right now? Where do you see it heading into? That's a good question. It, it's grown quite a bit in the 11 years that I've been in. So it's been moving in the right direction just in terms of integration with teams, the number of job opportunities that are out there. Uh -huh. And now you have almost every single power five school has you know, not only one, but maybe two or three dietitians and rightfully so, because most power five schools, you know, the large schools, they've got anywhere from 18 to 30 to 40 different teams. And when you're talking about athletes that are college age, they really don't know what they're doing nutrition wise, because no yeah. one's really ever taken the time to teach them. This is what you need to do based on training because you're an athlete and you're not a part of the general population. Mm -hmm. And the best and worst thing, and I've said this quite a bit to happen to the field was that 2014 deregulation of feeding that went through the NCAA where now they were allowed to provide almost anything you really wanted to at filling stations. You could provide multiple meal opportunities around, you know, the, the things that athletes are participating in. So that went from, you know, just football and basketball, getting training table and bagels and whatnot to now every single athlete can get at least one to two meals, if not potentially three and then maybe most of their other calories can be taken care of at the fueling stations. So with all these NCA division one programs, creating athlete only dining facilities or starting to implement more uh, money and, and budgets to feeding the athletes, you obviously need somebody who's going to oversee that. And, you know, obviously who better than the sports dietitian who knows what the athletes should be eating. So they're the part of the menu creation and it opens up the door to creating all these fueling stations and this, that, and the other, which is a great thing. But at the same time, it starts diluting what sports dietitians can actually bring to the table, especially those that have a background in exercise physiology or strength and conditioning that can really speak the language of what the strength and conditioning coach knows and wants. Same thing from those on the medical side and same thing from those 
that are on the performance side if you know that school actually has a sports science type monitoring performance staff so with all the time spent and it's a lot of time spent having to figure out you know the logistics and the planning and the purchasing and procurement the storage the stocking you know the making of shakes and smoothies and moving it around and having to do it not only for football but you've got 20 other teams that are spread out all throughout campus Um, you're not allowed to really flex your muscles with that exercise physiology and you know creative problem solving type brain you're spending all your time doing all the stuff to just get it done so that's that's an issue because you see these these people that become directors of power five schools a lot of their time is having to figure all that out well how are you going to staff these areas when you only have one or two other full-time people and you're talking about staffing six to seven different areas well if you don't have the student manpower the interns or the staff you've got to do it yourself Uh so then you're bringing on workers and students and hiring staff so the only thing that they really associate sports nutrition with is this whole rat race of being in charge of the fueling stations and doing the ordering and the logistics and the catering and the menu planning as opposed to, yeah, I'm out of practice. I'm problem solving this, this, and this. I'm talking to the medical staff every day. We're going through the injury report. All right, well, this needs to happen. This needs to happen. I'm talking to the strength conditioning staff. This is what's going on in the rate room. You know, coach told the head strength coach that, hey, these three guys are, you know, we need to, we're position changing them. They need to gain weight. So now the strength coach is like, all right, now we're tweaking their training program. So I need to get with the dietitian. This is the expectation. Now that person can go and, you know, take the time to figure out what they need to do to, meet the demands of what the head coach wants. So there's a lot less of that and just a lot more of doing all the other day-to-day, you know, basic labor type stuff. So unfortunately you have a lot of practitioners that haven't been taught very well or they're stuck in their current role and they just don't have a lot of other skills, you know, Mm -hmm. to take um, from that book range. They haven't been developing a lot of range because they majored in nutrition. They went and did their internship in nutrition. They, did a sports nutrition internship and now they have their first job or something similar. And all they've seen is the stocking and and the smoothie making and X, Y, and Z, as opposed to a lot of the other things that can happen. So there's a, there's a misconception with what RDs can and actually should bring to the table. And there's also a misconception with when teams are hiring, what are they looking for? So some yeah. don't really even know what they're looking for because if you're only experienced, whether you're, you're a DC or you're a head strength coach and you went somewhere else and you know you want a dietitian is what you've been exposed to. So if what you've been exposed to is just the whole, you know, all of what I had mentioned before, then you're setting the bar pretty low with what your expectations are and what you're going to get in a hire. Yeah, and it's, I was going to ask you that next, like, you know, with strength and conditioning advancing, you know, even from when I was in college, you know, back in the uh, early 2000s, you know, it's like, man, like now they got tendos in almost every single weight room. They got iPads in almost every single weight room. They're, you know, force plates at, you know, the bigger schools. So like SNC is using all these extra like technological platforms just to, you know, somehow, you know, test their athletes differently than what they did back in the days. And from what you're saying, it almost sounds like, you know, you're doing that with sports nutrition with blood biomarkers. And, you know, um, obviously not everyone can use a bod, uh, bod pod, but obviously you're using that. So that gives you an extra edge on, you know, identifying extra things. Um, but like, how do you see sports nutrition turning that corner like strength and conditioning has and, and meeting the strength coach, you know, and the sport coach um, in that circle where, you know, the nutritionist is not 
you know, teaching interns how to, um, you know, make a shake or stock a fucking fridge or fill up a fueling station, you know, because I'll be, I'll be honest, uh, we don't have the uh, luxury to, you know, hire sports nutritionists. So we all got our precision nutrition. You know, I'm an infant when it comes to sport nutrition. It's like, where do you see nutrition going in the direction with using this technology for testing athletes for uh, something a little bit different? Yeah, I, I think it's not just with testing athletes. It's understanding how do you get to the root of the problem? Because a lot of the things you can do with nutrition, you don't really need a lot of technology to come with. And, and that goes back to the whole exponential line of thinking is these exponential companies use a massive transformative purpose and they use the abundance of data that's out there. So all the data is out there just in terms of just asking people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've heard the, the, the saying, I can't coach you if I don't know you. And it's the same thing. I can't create nutrition interventions for you until I actually know a lot more about you. Well, who has all that information? Well, you're talking to the athlete themselves. The strength coach has a lot of information. The medical staff has a lot of information. If you're, ta- if you're looking at college, you have your recruiting department has a lot of information. The coaches have a lot of information. If it's you know, looking at the NFL, then you have your scouting and player personnel has a lot of information. So the more you understand and learn about somebody's situation, the easier it is to start developing a relationship with them and then figuring out how you can present this information to them to figure out, all right, what's best for them. If we look at this next training block, what is the objective? What does the schedule look like? What information do we already have? And then work backwards. Then you can start putting together your periodized plan Mm -hmm. as opposed to doing everything on the fly and last minute. And sometimes it just takes a little bit of, assertiveness or initiative to go out and get that information. So this is kind of the model that I've been thinking about really for like the past four or five years is, you know, creating this practitioner framework of, you know, developing yourself into becoming indispensable, which I guess every place I've been, I've been fortunate enough to learn a lot of different things and, you know, continue to change my mentality and thought process and realize that I don't have everything figured out, but I I'll spend as much time as needed to, to learn what I need to, to be quote unquote indispensable. Mm-hmm. So it goes down to, I mean, just the, the practitioner themselves looking at how they think, how they act, are they open to being evaluated? Do they even know how they're perceived? And then understanding that, Hey, sports nutrition is a very wide and all encompassing field. You're not going to know everything about everything, but you should have a basic fundamental understanding of all these key components and then if there's an area you don't know about, I mean, information's out there for free. Like you said, all you got to do is, I mean, there's probably a free podcast out there. There's research that's been published that you can more than likely get for free, whether through listservs or if you're part of a university, all that's free. Or you can reach out to researchers or high level practitioners that you feel have a wide variety of knowledge, you know, and obviously lead with value. Don't ask them, be like, hey, tell me what to do. It's like, hey, um you know, hopefully we can talk, I can provide you with this, you know, that way you don't feel like you're just giving up 30 minutes or an hour of your time for free. So there's tons of things that people can do, you know, because a lot of this stuff, like I got, I got tasked all these things when I got here, I'd never done before. Hmm. So the first year I was in charge of blood biomarkers, I thought that the panel should look like this, as opposed to now what it looks like now working with Quest, it's completely different. Because I made the decision, say, since I'm in charge of this, it can be really helpful with what I do with the athletes. It can strengthen my resolve with recommendations for nutrition and recovery and sleep that I really need to know what I'm talking about because I can be really effective with it. 
So yeah. I went out and started reading books. I started researching, talking to docs, talking to researchers. So I basically found that knowledge myself and I didn't have to pay a dime outside of, you know, buying four or five books from Amazon, which, I mean, that's not a lot of money given what I've gotten back from it. Uh-huh. So I think, I mean, there, there's a lot that can be done. It, there's no one quick fix. I mean, you know, you can say the same thing about S&C in almost every field, coaching too. <laughs> yeah. So let me, let me ask you this. I want to take a different angle real quick. You fix something as a strength coach, the kid feels better, they're moving better, they're bought in. How do you create the buy-in with sport nutrition? Because just like you said, you could take vitamin D and you're not going to feel it. You could take omega-3s, you're not going to feel anything. Like, how do you, how do you think you've created the buy-in at the pro level and at the college level? And which one do you think is harder to get a buy-in from? That's a good question. I think it's, it's harder at the pro level okay. because you're talking about guys that are, some are my age, some are older. Now we've got a young team, so pretty much all of them are younger. Uh huh. But, you know, we, we've had, you know, very good players in the past that are older than me. They have millions and millions of dollars in the bank. They've had massive amount of success and won the, the best games, the biggest games in, on the national stage twice without any of my help. So who am I to come in and tell them, oh, you're doing this wrong? Mm-hmm. No, obviously there, there's always something everybody can improve upon, myself too, when it comes to performance and health. If we're in the dining room and I see, you know, this guy's just got a plate of macaroni, he ain't got nothing else. I can't run up to him and be like, no, 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 stop, 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 <laughs> grab it and throw it against the wall. Even though that's exactly what I want to do. Yeah. Now, depending on who it is, I might be able to get away with it, but it's more of just being around the guys showing them you know what you're talking about because they expect you to be really smart and they're going to have questions and they're once they ask their questions they're going to want an answer and i've had good conversations with a lot of vets some that have ended up retiring uh that have been around a few different places and we've had some pretty intellectual conversations and it's pretty surprising some of the stuff that comes out of their mouth that they've researched themselves which i think is impressive um i think at the pro level it's really it's just getting to know them getting to know what they like uh-huh. You know, being around them. I think when they're around you and they're comfortable and you find those ends, whether it's with a influential player who's easy to get along with, who can kind of bring other guys in his position group or unit along with them to say, hey, how come you guys aren't doing this and calling them out uh-huh. or utilizing somebody else in the organization, staff member, whether it's a trainer, whether it's another strength coach that happens to have a good relationship with that player. Um, just trying to use them as a, as a soundboard for your message or even, you know, the head coach or position coach or coordinator. Now at the college level, I guess it's, it's definitely a lot different because you have these kids for three to five years, almost guaranteed. Mm-hmm. So they don't know any different, you know, they don't have a guru. They haven't worked with any other strength coach or any other dietitian. So you kind of have that trust automatically built in, but really it's yours to lose. So if you, can't understand what they're going through because the schedule of a college athlete is pretty rigorous. Yeah. I, I find it very hard at the uh, collegiate level to get kids to not, not buy in, but for, for the kids to provide themselves with the resources of, you know, things that we're telling them, you know, especially when they ask about, you know, like certain like foods with, you know, certain vitamins and minerals in them. It's like, Hey, the calf might not have, uh, you know, avocado, the calf might not have bison meat, you know, so yeah, it, it, grass it, fed, it, you know, or free range eggs or organic chicken. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and I'm always talking to, <laughs> and I do a poor job. I'm an asshole because I tell my kids, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm eating these fucking, you know, $7 grass fed, uh, you know, pasture raised <laughs> eggs and, you know, I'm, and they're like, our coach, we don't got those in the calf. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, 
maybe seven seven of those eggs equals you know two of these eggs. I don't know what what the nutritional value is, but um, yeah. But I find it hard. But I'm not an RD, so I don't know how to you know do your job. You know, with the expense of you know the information that I have, you know, at, at the infant level of being a quote unquote nutrition coach as well. But um, so Teak, you've been how long have you been an RD for? About cl- close to a decade now. Uh, close to eleven years now. Close to eleven years. So okay, uh, you got a decade in the book. Where do you envision your career going? Um, you know, from a, from a registered dietitian, you know, at the the high collegiate level, professional level. You know, what's the next step for you? And, and what's yeah. the next step? Do you think? For registered dietitians who are in the same position as you? That's a good question. And I've actually been thinking about this a lot. Obviously, we've had so much transition here. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've been ready. You know, I've had my bags packed at the end of every year and never take anything for granted and realize that, you know, I'm as culpable as anybody else for our success and our failures. Yeah. Hey, real quick, real quick. And if you can also tie in, what's the... Uh What's the job security like for RDs? Because I don't think anyone ever talks about that. No, that's, that's actually a very great question. At the professional level, it's not as secure as at the collegiate level. At the collegiate level, okay. I, I mean, obviously, not every RD is going to be perfect. And it, the same thing goes with every career field that spans the globe, whether you're a doctor, teacher, strength coach, trainer, RD. Um, the job security is definitely pretty good. I would say from what I've experienced on par at the university level as with athletic medicine staff members. Okay. I mean, as you know, strength coaches at university level, it's, you know, if the head coach goes, then you can pretty much, you are tied in with them. Yeah. You pretty much, yeah, you're tied in with them. But a lot of places are trying to not do that for a variety of reasons. And I see the benefits and negatives of both sides. So I don't think there's one all encompassing answer to it. Uh, The pro level, there, there is some security depending on where you're packaged. Now, if you're packaged under the medical staff or under the GM or under, you know, your pro personnel scouting department, which some, some people are, or under your operations people, I mean, you're not necessarily tied to the head coach that way. So if you're, if you're good at what you do, you're going to have some longevity, especially if you're able to grow every year and continue to progress your thought process and mentality. There have been some that have been let go with coaching changes. Uh, there have been some let go that have had some longevity, but again, it, it's definitely more secure than strength coaching, I think. Although I can't say that because I, I am a strength coach as well. So I'm kind of, you know, like I said, I, I have my bags packed at the end of every year, knowing that, you know, if I don't get brought back, then I'm on to the next challenge. And as you asked me, what do I see myself doing? Um, to be honest, I mean, this is the highest level a dietitian can really achieve, mm-hmm. you know, being on a coaching staff, having autonomy, you know, having the opportunity to be here for four years. I think for me, you know, reflecting on what's happened since quarantine and thinking about this a lot. And I know the, I know the appeal of everybody wanting to be in the NFL. There's a lot of RDs out there that have had some success at the college level that want to be in the NFL. I was like that too. Mm-hmm. because it is it it's is appealing. polarizing yeah yeah it's it's the it's the shield it's like the who, best professional who, league in the world yeah, who, who doesn't want to work in the nfl and and you know take a shot at winning a super bowl working with those athletes you know those freaks man and i think i've learned a lot since i've been in the nfl i thought i knew and i'm learning stuff like day by day year by year you know i'm, I'm starting a phd here pretty soon i'm in the works of uh, working it out with uh USQ University of South Queensland. I actually got to follow up with them. What's your what, what's like your uh, your focus 
It'll be in. So that's looking at uh, kin anthropometric characteristics of American football. Okay. So it's never been done in American football, and I think it's going to be really useful just looking at the player top to bottom, trying to figure out how do we stratify, you know, muscle, bone, fat, skin, residual mass by position group, and, and then correlating it with performance measures and markers. So we actually have a better idea of, you know, once we get these kids at 18 years old, 17, 18, what is their growth potential and where should we get them instead of the old mantra, the college head coach and college head coach is like, everybody has to be, you know, bigger, stronger, faster. Everybody's got to be 20 pounds heavier. I'm like, well, you know, you based on genetics and frame and body size, not every kid should be that, especially by position group. I mean, not every receiver needs to be 6'2", 205, 215. Sometimes you gotta, you're going to get a 6'3", 6'4 guy with a tiny frame who's going to be 195. But what can you do to maximize? Scary, 6'4", 195. <laughs> hey, you know, it sounds like a basketball player, but they're all, yeah. you know. I'm going to say Terrell Holmes. Terrell Holmes like 6'4", 230, you know. <laughs> and he's a specimen, though. You know he's a freak. He's a freak, man. Yeah, so for me, I think just because I've had my hand in all these different things, mm-hmm. but and for me, it's more about, the communication, the dialogue, helping other people get better, not only the athletes, but all the other staff groups. And I think I, I said this on a webinar previously, you actually, you learn more from the, the positions, the failures, the people around you that aren't maximizing their ability. You feel that could do their job better than you do from the people that you would consider like really high mentors. Cause the mentors you're going to try to emulate too much, but the yeah. people that, you know, if you've had a bad boss or if you worked with colleagues that are just not good, and you know why they're not good and it motivates you to want to not be like that and make, want to be better. And, and if you get in a leadership position, you would hold people accountable to not let that happen. I think that that's hugely valuable. And that's kind of happened quite a bit previously in my career where I've learned a lot from those types of situations and stimulated me to want to be a leader, want to be even better. And I think having my hand at being a performance director or, you know, an AD at a university, I think would be huge, especially when we're talking about the way performance staffs are built and developed and they're all over the place. I think most places aren't really doing it right for a variety of reasons. And at the college level, you know, you have ADs that oversee strength and conditioning, nutrition, performance, and medical that have no background in any of that. Uh So how do you develop your staff into getting them better if you just, you have no idea about the background of the fields but again, you don't necessarily have to be all knowledgeable in those situations. You just have to know how to understand how to lead and guide people and stimulate and build them up. The same way you have people are getting hired as performance directors that have a background in data anal- analysis or a physical therapist is now a performance director or Matt Patricia was a rocket scientist and he became a DC and now he's a head coach, you know? Yeah. I think, I think sometimes we fall into those traps <clears throat> saying, oh, this, this guy's never coached football before. I mean, in terms of strength conditioning, how can he be a strength coach for football? It's like, well, if you know the basics, if you know physiology, if you have a brain and you know how to communicate with athletes and figure it out, you don't need to. The same way I, I actually just got hit up by a university. They're looking for a dietitian for their football team, a head dietitian, and then they're going to get an assistant, but they want that person to have worked football previously. I'm like, well, I understand the thought process, but you might be missing out on somebody who has a whole totally different thought process that could be really good. Mm. that might come from abroad or come from a different sport that can add more to what's happening instead of just always staying in this lane of one sport, one sport, one sport. Yeah. 
I got, I got to agree with you because I, I was actually talking to somebody about it last week. Like you're, you're better off being not a specialist in a certain sport, but just principle driven because the principles work across every sport, you know? Yeah. Like especially with like, uh, with like strength and conditioning, for example, like your, your principle of specificity, <clears throat> you know, your overload principles, those, those all, you know, they are what they are. And you could be a, a soccer strength coach and you could take that same body of work and take it to, with, with a football program and have success, you know, just obviously know, know the intensities and the audience you're working with and just change, tweak a few things as you go along, like you said, you know? No, I agree. In the same way that, you know, I, I, when I was at K-State and took my first job at Michigan State, I'd never been exposed to an athletic department like that. But, you know, I learned a lot in those three years. And then fortunate enough to get the job at Oregon where I had never run a department. I had never hired anybody. I never fired anybody. I never had to come up with protocols and policies for all these different sports. I never had to run a budget. I never had to um, come up with sponsorship deals and increase allocations and deal with ADs and donors and things of that nature. But I was able to figure it out because my mindset was like, all right, talk to everybody, learn as much as you can. You might F up here and there, but all you got to do is learn from it. As long as it isn't a big, huge mistake, then that'll be a positive. And the same thing, I had never worked in the NFL before. And it really mm -hmm. is a totally different game in terms of dealing with these attitudes and speaking to players than it is college because the college kids will do any and everything you tell them to do. They don't have a choice and they don't know any differently. Yeah, the NFL players. The NFL is a player-driven league. If you tell these guys to do something, they look at you and they say, "Ha, f off." <laughs> I mean, those those guys got the money to kind of, you know, uh, you know, seek outside, you know, support or whatever, whatever the word is, you know. Yeah, and, and there was a a post about <clears throat> Le LeBron's trainer had mentioned something about his post-game recovery methodology in terms of like, like what he likes to drink and. I, I think I I think I know what you're talking about. I think I heard of this. Yeah, so it was a long interview. Long story short, there was a group of RDs, interns, dietitians that were so appalled by what he said. You know, they were like calling this guy out on social media saying, oh, LeBron, you can do so much better if you have an RD. You know, you should hire an RD yourself. This, 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 and this. And I'm like, this guy's been with LeBron for 16 years. So every piece of success LeBron's had, that guy's been right there with him. LeBron's been the best basketball player for 16 years on the planet. You know, three championships, nine total. It was an eight in a row, something crazy like that. It's like, I'm sure he's doing a lot of other stuff in the background that nobody really hears about just because you didn't like the initial answer. And let's face it, he's got a lot of sponsorships. So that probably plays a heavy role with what he's telling people he's doing, even though, he, you know, athletes might not be doing that. They might just be saying it just to appease their sponsors and then doing something completely different because that happens quite a bit. Yeah. But then again, LeBron trusts this guy. So this guy could tell LeBron to eat, you know, grass shavings and it's going to help him improve his, you know, VO2 max by 0.5%, <laughs> which equates to, you know, one made extra shot per game. And, and he's not going to care because it's all about the trust. Yeah, because he knows LeBron. He knows what he likes and what he doesn't like. I mean, it's just stuff like that that just drives me crazy. People just start pointing the finger and jumping on a bandwagon without realizing, like, hey, this is real life. This is how athletes think, and you have to develop this relationship first, and then you get them to do what you want them to do. Yeah, and it drives me crazy too when people start talking about you know shit that like all these uh, all time greats like like hey all oh, Tom Brady's uh, on like a vegan based diet LeBron James is doing this and 
uh, my thing is like, man, those guys are freaks. Like Michael Jordan smokes cigars before games and he's still lit <laughs> and he's still lit it up. So like, it, it, you know, the freaks leave them alone, man. It's, it's, it's the in-betweeners we got to, you know, focus on a bit, man. But Pratik, I got to ask you uh, my main question, my wild card, my curveball, whatever you want to call it, man. If you were not a sports dietitian today, uh, if you were not involved with, you know, um, strength and conditioning and nutrition today, what other job or career do you see yourself doing in life? I'd be a teacher. A teacher. Everyone want to be a teacher. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because I've done it before. So I was a grad teacher at K-State. That's right. Yeah, I, you were. I taught at Michigan State. I taught at Oregon. And I love it. Like, if, you know, if there's a way to get my same salary doing that, I think, you know, you get a chance to touch so many different kids at an impressionable age. And you and I both went through it. I mean, undergrad and grad school, we know the positives and negatives of the education system in America. And right now it's just, it really isn't good enough. It's not good. And that's why no. I'm going back to be a PhD. I've, I reach out to different programs, especially K-State since I went there twice as my alma mater and they're starting a sports nutrition minor. And so I'm like, Hey, if you want to pick my brain, if you want my honest thoughts, I will give you as much time as you can handle and do as many, you know, zoom classes, collaborations, what have you. But I think there's, there's so much that kids can learn in school that they're not taught that you have to learn outside that if I would have known this stuff five, 10, 15 years ago, my life would be a lot better. And I think it's just a lot about just very, very individualized things like the way people act, you know, learning about business, how to, um, develop financial security and independence, being a professional, you know, situational stuff that happens, you know, we're all, we're all taught all the theory, theory, theory in school, but we're never really taught anything about applying it. I know a lot of people are trying to work on that, but I think that there's a huge, uh, missed opportunity to teach like, you know, life skills one-on-one, which every incoming freshman should be able to take, whether they're on campus or do it by distance. I think it'd be so valuable because I had a, a really great sociology teacher in high school who did just that. And it's the one class that every single person that went through Northwest that took it remembers. And I remember almost everything about it. I remember his name. I remember who was in the class. I remember the topics we talked about. And it was awesome. And I thought, if college is like this, I'm going to be in college forever, which unfortunately it didn't end up being like that. But I think, you know, everybody always wants change, but nobody wants to do anything about it. And I think that's an opportunity to do just that. <laughs> but uh, other than that, uh, it's tough. I mean, I, I like impacting people's lives positively using the knowledge that I've been able to accumulate and experiences that I have in nutrition, exercise, health, and fitness. So maybe work with a bunch of different companies on, you know, whether it's wellness, helping their employees develop better habits, helping them lower insurance costs, increased productivity, which I mean, it costs these large companies millions and billions of dollars every year. Yeah. We're helping them just understand like higher level thinking, communication, some of the stuff that Brett does and talks about. I mean, I've lived through all of it for the past 11 years. I mean, I could write a book about my experiences and then in terms of that and a lot of other topics, um, you know, and, and everybody also needs a side hustle. So doing some stuff with like, you know, real estate, uh, rentals, stuff like that. But I would say, I know it's probably the same answer you get from a lot of people, a teacher at the university level. There you go. I, I mean, most people said teacher and nobody really expressed where, but the university level, it's funny. I, I was an adjunct 
Uh, and I don't talk about this much. I was an adjunct professor for exercise science at Fairleigh Dickinson for uh, two years. I kind of liked it, kind of didn't like it. I liked it because I was able to, you know, get in front of a, a group of young, young people and teach them about, you know, something that I'm so passionate about. But at the same time, 90% of the kids in that class, you know, didn't give a damn about what I was trying to teach. It was just an elective course for them. So, you know, it kind of kind of yeah. rubbed me the wrong way. Well, it wasn't a science school anyway. It was just, you know, uh, more of a business aspect for sports admin, but that was a class they had to take. But um, I enjoyed it and didn't enjoy it for, you know, that one particular reason, but it is what it is. No, I know what you mean. And, you know, maybe you stimulated somebody to learn more about it. You never know. Hopefully. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I really don't know, but uh, <laughs> I hopefully I impacted somebody's life to want to, you know, exercise a little bit differently if, if, you know, that would make any sense to them. But, uh, but hey, Pratik, man, I appreciate you coming on today, man. This was, this was some real great information, valuable, um, you know, stuff I could take away from you, stuff hopefully our listeners could take away from you, just, you know, from talking about sports nutrition as being a sports dietitian from a different angle versus talking about carbs and protein and fats all the damn time, you know? <laughs> no, thanks for having me on. and Definitely glad to get a chance to share some information with your listeners. Hey, Pratik, so if you know, any of our listeners want to get in contact with you, what's the best way? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty active on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. So feel free to message me there. My uh, Instagram and Twitter accounts are the same. It's at Pratik X Patel. And I believe my LinkedIn is the same too. There you go, folks. All right, Pratik, appreciate you having, uh, coming on, brother. No problem. Thanks for having me.